This is the Relevant Podcast. This episode 1086, and it's a relevant podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, it's Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. From Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. What up, dog? And just down the road there in Nashville, our very own downtown Emily Brown. Hey, y'all. We have a great show in store for you. Coming up later, we talk to Upper Room, one of our favorite worship collectives. We also have your feedback and relevant buzz and all that. But before we get going... I was going to say, it's Barbenheimer weekend. Yes. Who isn't excited about uh, about this? This is... What, what Derek, weekend? Derek's the one who's not excited. Barbenheimer. What is Barbenheimer? Barbie and Oppenheimer. How many... Like, I've talked <laughs> oh, to multiple man. people that are doing the double feature. And Oppenheimer should be noted as three hours long. Uh, and and Barbie is, is clocks in, I think, just over two. So we're talking five mm. hours... Plus, plus the gap, people, plus the gap in between. Yeah, you got. And I've heard a lot of debates about this. Whether if you're going to do this, which one? My thing is, you got to eat the steak before you have dessert. Like it's clearly an Oppenheimer uh, Barbie situation. I know a lot of people go and Barbie. See, I, I, but see, I'm because who's in the mood for atomic bombs? Like in the morning, you know what I mean? No, you got to start the day light. And then you eat nighttime. You do your heavy lifting. I don't know. I think. Mm. I, see, I see both. I see both. I think the people who do Barbie Oppenheim- Barbie first and then Oppenheimer, it's like, if you start with Oppenheimer, then you're going to be thinking about atomic bombs while you're watching a Barbie movie because you're still going to be a like palate in that. Cleanser. It's a palate cleanser. It's, it's the, it's the <laughs> well, limoncello. It's a limoncello after you had the pasta. Hopefully that you're risking it though, because it also seems like Derek is Barbie like does get a little Derek, bit. Ne- look at his face. I've never seen it. Derek. I've never seen you more disinterested. Less interested ever. ever. And there have been a lot of things <laughs> that we've talked about that he sits back. He like gets up, goes to the restroom. He doesn't care. This is another level of disinterest. He almost Derek, fell asleep. Do you have interest in either of these films? In no shape, form, or fashion. I don't. I could Dude, this weekend way. is going to save Hollywood. Like the every movie uh, that's come out so far has been a disappointment. You know, Indiana Jones was a flop, and The Flash, and all the others. And this is the one. This this weekend saves Hollywood. They say so. We'll see. While that while the actors are on strike and 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 the writers. Well, this so. is really going to be like the big last kind of like Hollywood weekend for a while. I think because of this. Like, I mean. No one's doing any press. There's not going to be any like new film. I mean, there will be new films coming out, but there's no promo for them. Like this is kind of like the one last hurrah before. Here's my 400 years of silence. Here's my suggestion, because I think I I think if either of these movies were coming out independently, like there would still be people would still be excited that wanted to see Barbie movie are going to go see Barbie movie. People that want to see Oppenheimer. But if there was like a three week gap. I don't think people would have, it wouldn't be like memefied like it is right, right. now. I read somewhere mm. that they've, they've sold like 40,000 double feature tickets. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, that people are just going to sit in a theater for, for over five hours watching these just, just because it's, it's kind of a cultural moment. That's wild. So here, I, so I had an idea with. So, like, so the two movies together are basically one Avengers movie that Derek likes, like about five <laughs> hours total. Yeah, it's, no. It, it would be no. like it, it would be like seeing uh, 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 Infinity War and Endgame. At least there's explosions. 
Hey, there is an Oppenheimer. Uh, spo- hey, spoiler yeah. alert for the end of Oppenheimer. <laughs> <laughs> I think I know how that. I'm just like somebody. Like somebody asked me, it was this. It was Oppenheimer, and then it was the movie. I think the Sound of Freedom. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And and I said they asked me was I going to go see it. I was like, no. And it's not because I don't support you know Sound of Freedom or Oppenheimer. I also don't go see like movies about slavery and the Civil War. Like I like reality is real enough. Yeah. Like if I'm being honest, I probably might would go see the Barbie thing a little bit, but it's just it's Barbie. I'm yeah. just not like I, I I'm not interested in no shape, form, or fashion about a a Barbie movie. Like there's well, nothing that's interesting to well, me. So here's here's my here's my idea though because we do see there's an appetite for these like experiences not just going to going to the movies but making a day right. out of it right right emily to your point there's a writer strike there's a there's an actor strike uh the movies aren't being promoted they're holding the release dates on stuff we're going to see a pause why don't we just run back some some movies and just like have a chris farley weekend across the country where for it's sure. like I, i'm gonna go you know watch you know tommy boy and black sheep back to back at some you know, just all across the country. Why don't we just dust off a couple of fun double features from back in the day? I, die Hard and Speed. Who's Check not it out. going? Who's not me, going? Me and my sons, this in the past seven days, have watched The Water Boy, Liar Liar, and yesterday we just watched Major Pain. Love it. And Major Pain. it's been the best time in our lives like they are dying laughing I'm dying laughing from nostalgia they're dying laughing because Damon Wayans and Jim Carrey and Adam Sandler are ridiculous like so I'm with that like that's my speed for sure I like that idea Jesse if they next weekend were like hey we're we're gonna do In the Army Now with Pauly Shore and (laughs) Major Pain with Damon Wayans in there I'm there who's not going who's not going all to, day, and, you're, and everyone's going dressed in fatigues. And yes, I'm there. I'm there, bro. What's funny? I'm with there. Like, if they did Juice and Boys in the right? Hood, I'm there. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And then, and then, nightcap it with the other, other way. And it's like, don't be caught drinking a Juice in the Hood or whatever. Yeah, whatever yeah, they're yeah, exactly. With. That, exactly. That's, that's, that's the nightcap. Or a, fri- yeah. a Friday gonna, marathon on a Friday night. Friday, Friday, all three all Fridays. All three Fridays on a Friday night. You know what I'm saying? This could Bro, save Hollywood, would, oh, no, guys. I'm, so I'm, I'm good. That's what I would do. Like, yeah, because I think I, it, I, that's I think that's a great point, Jesse. I think you're on to something because now we don't necessarily care about going to the movies to see the newest thing. I think it's it's the experience of being in the theater yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Like the movies, it doesn't really matter. It has to be a cultural event. So it's like if they if the movie theaters created cultural events, I think that it would be dope. Okay, we're remastering Friday or mm-hmm. on you know around October we're remastering the Friday the 13th and the mm. Nightmare on Elm Streets and all of that. We're remastering them and putting them into the theaters for you to be able to experience them. And then those are our childhood. And then, Lord willing, I, you know what I mean? Yeah, well, I can see it. World Series weekend. Throw out Rookie of the Year and Sandlot. Oh, Dub- my God. Little double feature action. You Come know? on. I- I'm just NBA Finals, the, the, what, Air Bud, Space Jam? Like what? you want you you go you go All space. The What's the Whoopi Goldberg becoming the coach Eddie. of the Knicks? It's Eddie. Eddie, that's it. It's Eddie. She won a half court, she she won a half court contest. Become assistant coach for halftime. <laughs> if I recall, which I'm pretty sure I do, it was she was attending a Knicks game. Like it was a halftime contest, and you hit the half court shot. You got to sit on the bench as an assistant coach. 
Something transpired in the plot where I think the entire coaching staff was thrown out of the game. And Whoopi Goldberg, who plays a Knicks fan who won a contest, takes over for halftime of the team, inspires the team, and ends up becoming the full-time coach. Isn't that the plot? Yeah, I think so it is. Eddie, Ed, Eddie and Semi-Pro. There you go. There With you go. Will Ferrell, Eddie and yep. Semi-Pro. That Semi-Pro was, it's a slept-on movie by Will Ferrell. Oh, that's great. Everyone talks about Step Brothers and Talladega Nights. Semi-Pro is up there, too. Yeah, the Flint Tropics, man. man. Well, well, there's a baseball movie, Little Big League. I don't know if you remember that one, where uh-huh. the kid inherits a baseball team from his grandfather. I think it's the Chicago Cubs, maybe, <laughs> and somehow inserts himself into the lineup. <laughs> <laughs> you know what baseball movie wrecked me? And I do not suggest Major League. y'all watch. No. Oh, Angels in, Angels the, in the Outfield. Hard, hardball. Oh, yeah. When was Keanu Reeves Keanu. was the coach, the coach of the, uh, the kids, man, go watch Hardball. It is one of the most moving yeah. movies. He takes over like a, a, a little, it's like Sandlot, but order. in the hood. Yeah. yeah. Via court order, he has to take take uh, all these young black kids and coach them and teach them baseball. And they just get to see kind of like the nuances of what's happening in the hood. Like that movie wrecked me. It's a great movie. So, Hardball, here's the other thing sure. about that, the era of movies and sports movies in particular, the stakes were incredibly low. Like right now, when you go see a sports movie, somehow they end up playing to save the world. Right? What? Like, what did like- space <laughs> Oh, Space Jam. Okay. Or, 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 or like, or like, this whole person's career and livelihood comes down to one putt. Like, if they sink the putt, or or if they make the hoop, hoop like everything in their life is is all comes down to this one moment. The stakes were way lower in the nineties. I recently ran back the movie Major League with like Wesley Snipes and Charlie Sheen, like classic baseball movie. Yeah. They don't even show how the season ends. It ends with mm-hmm. them winning the pennant, like winning their division. And that's good enough. We don't, even know, we don't even know if they went to the World Series. We don't even know how they did in the playoffs. All we need to know, they made the playoffs. End of movie. That's <laughs> how low the stakes are. We don't even know how the season ended. It was just a fun ride. with Just yeah. a bit outside. Yeah. We we solved Hollywood. We, we solved Hollywood. Just, we figured it out. Well, they said. Here's the thing. You have to do. I think you do have to do sort of like a Barbenheimer feature though. Cause all the movies you said sort of fit like the same genre. Like, I think you do have to throw like what's funny about the Barbenheimer stuff is people have brought up other instances in Hollywood where two major movies that had like very different demographics premiered at the same time. Like I think it was like over 10 years ago, Mamma Mia and yeah, the dark night on, on the same, same night. weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think you got to do something like that. So that's a, have, so, so you're saying, because the guys were talking about theming it. So Friday 13th, Marathon, yeah, Halloween. Honest, I'm not going to a single theater to see a sports movie. Yeah, right. Barely sit, so barely what, watch my What you want so. is the juxtaposition of, of so, so genre. So you're saying like, let's say, let's say it's like Father of the Bride and Last of the Mohicans. Like, <laughs> let's do it. Yes. Let's do yeah, it. Yeah, you got to pick like two, almost ones that are like, if you're if Shawshank no Redemption this, and Legally Blonde, see this. like back to back. There yeah. you go. Oh, yeah. oh, now that would be a fun back to back. I would see because that. it's law and then prison. I mean, they kind of kind of connect. Yeah, here. they go together. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> moving the show along. Stay tuned. Up next. Oh, this might have been the opening item of Relevant Buzz. Uh, we just kind of plagiarized it. Or sorry, sorry, Emily. No problem. We're just on the same way. Two editors just on the yeah. same way. Stay tuned. Up next, a uh, off-the-cuff modified version of Relevant Buzz because we just talked about the first item.
listening to Genesis Owusu. The song is tied up. Season four of The Chosen is in theaters now, and the reviews that count are in. Amazing. Did not disappoint. Flurry of emotions. It was powerful, heartbreaking, uplifting. You have got to come and see it. It is a message for everybody. I highly recommend that you come out and see The Chosen season four. Episodes one through three of The Chosen season four are in theaters till February 14th. So visit thechosenriseup.com and get your tickets now. That's thechosenriseup.com for tickets today. Okay, it's time for... Relevant Buzz. All right, tell us what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture this weekend, Emily. Besides Barbie and Oppenheimer. Besides Barbie and Oppenheimer, yeah. All of pop culture paused, by the way. There's nothing else happening. I mean, kind of. Everyone said we're we're sitting on the, the sidelines this weekend. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean... It's been on my calendar for a while. I'll be honest. I'm seeing the I'm seeing Barbie Thursday night at 6 p.m. because I don't want it ruined for me at all. So I mm. have to be the first one to see it. But, you're like the person who does their Black Friday shopping on Thanksgiving at noon. Like you're you're, okay. you're going to the Walmart. No, right don't then. put that on me. No, I, all right. I have strong feelings about those people. Um, th- that's <laughs> we can't. Get, we have to save that for actual Black Friday talk. We can't talk about it now. Wow, I didn't realize. Okay. <laughs> I didn't realize how strongly I felt until you called me that, and I don't like that. She was like, "Don't you call me that? You don't you you." Get the dirty words out your mouth. <laughs> I respect the holiday. I respect the holiday. The funniest thing you could ever say to me. No, um, no. But we are talking about how um, this kind of is the last. Barbenheimer is kind of the last big Hollywood event for a while because Hollywood is basically shutting down for a while. Um, there's a major strike that's been happening um, really since May when the writers' strike began. But last week, uh, actors joined them. So all that to say. We're not going to get a lot of new stuff from Hollywood for a while, except there have been a few exemptions. And one that we wanted to note was the chosen was granted an exemption. Um, So they will continue to produce their fourth season. Um, Initially they announced that they didn't have the exemption, but then after a few days of behind the scenes discussions, um, they reached an interim agreement, um, which means that the production company, because it's independent, they get to sort of decide some things separate from other studios. Um, mm. And so they've agreed to meet some of the requests from the union, um, including an 11% raise for all of the actors. But what was said was that the independent studio uh, separately agreed to the terms that the actors yes. union was asking for. Mm. So the big studios are fighting back against those terms, but the chosen said, no, 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 we'll pay those terms. And so they got the exemption. So they, they gave mm-hmm. them everything they asked for. For, for to That's finish dumb. the season, yeah. That's dumb. And I it, wish music would do this. What do you mean? Because, right. yes. Oh, because of the streaming payment. So, yeah. Oh. Bro, yeah, like, I'm not even going to lie. It's and a broken system. It's bro- the whole system's broken. Yeah. Music, like, guys are, I'm watching artists that are really, really popular, and some of them still living with their mom, and it's it's it shouldn't be that way. Right. Um it's almost like for me, you know, music. Yeah, it's it's we need to do something. Is there so, I mean, is there a comparable to the actors? I was just gonna ask, like, for music stream. Like, I don't know much about music stream. So, like, you know, how much do you get from streaming at all? Like, what's what are you hoping changes in the industry? Well, it's not just streaming. Um, I mean, I I. 
Like, I'm not going to just blame it all on streaming. Like, honestly, right. streaming, it's a catch-22, right? So with an artist, like, I, there's fans I would have never had without streaming. Because there's people that would have never taken the chance to listen to the music, et cetera, et cetera. But do I feel like we need a, a raise there? Absolutely, for sure. But I don't think that it's just streaming. It's, I mean, think about it. Even social media, like, if I have a million views on an Instagram video, I should get paid a significant amount of money. Like, it, just, it shouldn't be a small amount. Like, even on social media streams, quote-unquote streams, right? So, but it's bad. I mean, it's less than a penny per play, to be real. Is there is there a comparable... I mean, the reason why Hollywood can do this is because if you want to work as an actor or as a crew member or a writer, you have to join the union. I mean, you just have to. Mm-hmm. And so... The, part of the guilds. Right. So the guilds mm-hmm. can dictate terms with the studios collectively, there's nothing like that at the Grammys, the Recording Association. There's nothing like that in the music industry. Nah, the, so I'm I'm chair of the Recording Academy. So the point of the Recording Academy, or I'm a chair in Nashville, the Recording. So the Recording Academy, it advocates for sure. It's going to advocate, but the thing we know that pushes the you know the, the ball forward is what's happening now. There's not going to be any more movies, guys, until we get our terms. You know, that's what moves the ball, whether you advocate for higher royalty rates or whatever. We just did. I'm proud of the Grammys for doing this. Uh, The Music Modernization Act. We were a big advocate to push that forward. You know what I mean? So that was a a very important thing as far as publishing is concerned, making sure these writers get paid. But that's the reason why music can't strike, because there's not a collective like we're not going to make music. Or not going to release albums unless you meet our terms. And the reason why is because music is so low budget to create. Even an independent film is going to cost a significant amount of money to create. Couple million right? dollars, so yeah. I think with exactly. So I think music, it's so quick. I mean, guys are making albums for a thousand bucks. You know what I'm saying? At least in beats for fifty dollars or whatever, there's always going to be, no matter if all the big artists say we're not going to do anything, then there's just a bunch of young kids that, you know, make music off their phones and blow up. I mean, well, we kind of saw what that looked like during the pandemic. Like, new stars were created in the music industry during the pandemic. I don't know if y'all realize that. But the biggest artists, the Kendricks, the, talking about hip-hop, the Kendricks, the Drakes, well, Drake's always dropping, but the Kendricks, the J. Coles, all of the big artists, none of them really dropped. So it made way for a lot of these younger artists to kind of, you know, fly their wings. Um, and I think that's the issue with music. Yeah. I mean, look at Billie Eilish, her and her brother, you know, you know, became two of the biggest pop stars in the world, literally mm-hmm. in their parents' bedroom with, with, mm-hmm. with laptops. You know what I mean? Yep. Post Malone, but, you know, all the SoundCloud rappers. I mean, like there's, yeah, yep. yep. Juice World, R.I.P. The, the thing is, like, interestingly, I think the platform that is going to provide the most equitable model moving forward is probably something like YouTube, where, you know, you, you know, creators on YouTube can make legitimate income, whether you're a musician mm-hmm. or whether, you know, you don't have to be at Mr. Beast level to mm-hmm. to make, you know, a pretty good money on YouTube if you make quality content because their rev share with creators, you know, with, with the, you know, it's built on the most sophisticated ad platform ever created because it's owned by Google 
and their decision early on to share and let you see how much of the ad revenue you're getting for each piece of content that you put on the platform that that does well, Derek, to your point, like on, mm-hmm. on Instagram or these other platforms where content that fuels the, you know engagement, which the company makes money off of, isn't shared back with the consumer. Something like YouTube has really paved mm-hmm. a way for what the future of independent media creation could potentially mm-hmm. look like because their their rev shares are so transparent, you know? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, as far as artists, that's, I, I agree with you. I think the, the ad share on, on YouTube makes a whole lot of sense. But yeah, I, I, kudos to the actors, kudos to the writers, I think, standing up and 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 saying, you know what, we're going to strike. I think that's really important because these these movie companies are making gobs of money and there's no reason why the actors shouldn't be getting a raise and getting paid. So the writer and the writers as well. So kudos. Emily, what was that kudos. one Hollywood exec like in this last year got like five hundred million dollars of like income or something? Oh, David's. um Zaslov, how do you say his name? Yeah, yeah, like these. That's that's the thing is like these studio execs are like (laughs) making a ton of money, and they're they're literally the actors are and the writers are going like, if you could just make four hundred million instead of five hundred million for your salary, we could pay Mm -hmm. for thousands of people to have a you know Uh, livable wage. You know, Um, and well, not only that, but top level, top tier talent too. I mean, like you know, you look (laughs) at the the recent layoffs at ESPN, uh, you know, which is owned by Disney. You know, the the fact that they could cut six on-air personalities who make, you know, uh, uh, eight-figure or more, you know, revenue and save, you know, countless dozens and dozens of production jobs, I, I think the pendulum's going to swing a little. I mean, right now you're seeing actors and writers, you know, but I, I don't think the, the average actor, the average writer isn't making this, you know, these crazy mm-hmm. levels of, of income. But when you look at the top, top tier, that's when you uh, all that's the other inequity you see. Like, yeah, obviously on the executive level. But then when you see one on air talent making, you know, in one year as much as every production member on the entire staff of a cable company. You know, I think things are going to start to level out because the whole business model of how we consume content is rapidly, rapidly changing, you know? Yeah, and I I think we also have to make no mistake, though, right? People are coming, they're watching first take for Stephen A. Smith. Like, they want to see. So he deserves to get a high amount of money, right? And, like, they're not, and, and this is unfortunate, but the production guy can get, swapped out so yeah no that's that's true but but it's it's the the tier under the Stephen a's like the the people who who you know are not replaceable but like yeah you know i mean look man it's complicated but but i think a leveling out whether it's on the executive level or on like top tier talent level where you, you see you know like i said kind of incomes match you know, what people bring to the table. I think we're going to see it more and more, especially now that, like I said, the business models are changing really, really rapidly. I think your point is right. Like, you know, we, I think a lot of times when we think of actors, we think of like, you know, the 30 actors that we can name, but the mm-hmm. Actors Guild has 160,000 um, actors mm-hmm. in it. I can't name 160,000 people, you know? And so it's you like, those, it's like, <laughs> 
I don't even know if I can name 160. Um, you know, like there's so many people that need, um, need someone to advocate for them. And it starts from the top, you know, from these high profile actors saying, no, I'm not going to promote my major movie because I want you to get paid. Um, but it is even interesting. A lot of actors have been very transparent with their pay and their residuals that they've received. Um, and it's, it's like shocking how mm. there's some actor, like there was one actress who, uh, was on the show Orange is the New Black, which was major on Netflix. Um, and she wasn't a main star, but she was in every episode. No, no, no. She was in, 40, she, she was in 46 episodes. She was the Asian girl. I f- I'm forgetting her name, her character name. Her real name's Kimiko Glenn. Right. But oh, I don't remember her name okay. in the show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She, yeah. she, was, um, she, was, so she, she was like there. She was part of the, yeah, the crew. Yeah, in the, sure. yeah, 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 like, yeah. You know yeah. who she is. Yeah, yeah. And she's she said she made like 27 bucks yeah. in residuals from yeah. um, the show yeah, The Last You know, like, And it's like, she was a big, that's she was crazy. A, a notable part of it. <laughs> and you're getting $27. For the and year. It's like, that is a show yeah. that put Netflix, like that really helped put Netflix on the map when it first came yeah. out. She told this, she told the story how even the main stars, the core five or whatever, like when they were doing mm-hmm. the red carpets and like it, the show had blown up and they were doing all these big events and premiering season two and all this stuff. Like she said, half the the main cast was like bartending and working other jobs because they had to. They it was not a livable wage yeah, coming crazy. from this hit show, and then the show would fly them out to do this big media events and stuff. Like they were Hollywood mm-hmm. stars, and they're going back to being a bartender the next day. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. The entertainment company is extreme, uh, or entertainment business is so lopsided. And the thing is. Oh, this is the unfortunate part about it, even like with records. If I'm a businessman, right, and there's this artist that is unproven, doesn't have any success, I'm I'm making their contract based on where they're at now. I'm not thinking what's going to happen if they're going to be Drake or if they're going to be J. Cole or if they're going to be the next Chris Evans or Chris Pratt, whatever, right? So we're, whatever's happening in this movie is based on your worth now. Now, hopefully the success of the movie blows up, but that contract doesn't change. Right. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't change. So I almost feel like there needs to be some sort of like scaling yes. thing. Like if certain metrics are hit, hey, your scale bumps up. Everybody's scale bumps up like that. That's just logic. Like, that's not because I mean, yeah, we can't blame an executive for, for protecting himself because for every orange is the new black. There's 20 other shows yeah. that sucked. Right. That right, didn't right. do well. But when you have a hit like that, it can't just be like, all right, well, you you know, hey, there's no scale. There's no nothing. Your face is plastered all over everywhere, but mm-hmm. you don't get to participate in all of that. You know, that's not that's not right. It's not yeah. right at all. And I think a lot of these shows, too, like. Um, I, I, it's interesting with Netflix too. They honestly do a lot of shows where the actors are really not known. Um, like, mm-hmm. you know, HBO, Apple TV plus, like they, they're really good about getting big stars. A lot of the shows on Netflix are like young kids who are just trying to make mm-hmm. it in the industry. And it's like, they're nobodies. So they sign a contract where it's like, you're saying they're, they're signing a contract for what they're worth now, but then mm-hmm. the show blows up and it's like, well, they don't have anything to, you know, kind of compensate them for like how much they've helped out Netflix and, you know, gotten them this free promo and stuff. And yeah, it's all just very backwards. It's very, it's interesting. All right. What else we have? Switching gears. Uh, we talked a few episodes ago about the student loan forgiveness plan um, and how the Supreme court 
decided to strike down Biden's loan forgiveness plan. Um, and in the weeks since, there's been a lot of discussion about it. And Axios actually did a poll among Gen Z just to get their opinion on that decision, since they're going to be, you know, the most affected by it. Uh, to absolutely no surprise, only 17% of Gen Z agreed with the decision. <laughs> uh, the majority were not thrilled that they will have to pay back their student loans. Um, but there was, they had, you know, a few follow-up questions and there was one that really stuck out to me. Um, they asked Gen Z who was responsible for their student loans not being forgiven and 47% blamed the Supreme court while 38% blamed Republicans for their unforgiven student. Let me debt. ask clarity. So the question that they asked was who do you blame for them not being forgiven? Because that is the Supreme court. I mean that. Yes. Okay. So th- it's yeah. not the question of who's responsible for you having no option, but being saddled with this oppressive right, student loan right, debt. Right, yeah. So they're blaming, they're not blaming the Supreme court Republicans for their, their debt. They're blaming the Supreme court for, for not, not forgiving, forgiving the for debt. Who, forgiving. Didn't, who didn't get it pushed forward in a yeah. sense. Yeah. Okay, I got saying. you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. Well, duh. So. Well, duh. I mean, <laughs> the Supreme court is the one who made the decision. So yeah, blame them. I don't know what the strategy is for conservatives and younger people. Um, Cause it don't look like they, like they have one. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> but, but your, your point, the follow, the follow up to this, like is that the, exactly what you're saying is that when Gen Z, you know, 17% only, only 17% agree with, the conservative court and what Republicans are doing policy wise, obviously Gen Z has feelings about Roe v. Wade and all these things. Your point Mm. is dead on because uh, a lot of political forecasters are talking about the inevitable shift that's coming. where like conservatives have completely lost an entire generation. And it's like the tipping point is like right around the corner where it's like not even going to be this 50, 50 split that America has had but like Gen Z has been yeah. so affected by conservative wow. policies that it almost like there's no going back or something. You know? Well, to, to, to the point where, you know, a, a, you know, presidential candidate has suggest raising the voting age to, to the mid to late twenties, mm-hmm. you know, as you know, mm-hmm. sort of the implication being, you know, that, that those are all lost anyway, but part of it's, you know, look is messaging too. like, you know, I, I, you know, you look at something like this, student loan forgiveness. I don't, you know, I don't really have a, a personal horse in the race, but I feel like the. Come on, Mr. Libertarian. The, how do you feel about it? Well, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to, to debt forgiveness or, or the government giving money back to people who are taxpaying. Who are paying the money in. Exactly. Exactly. I have no opposition to that. But <laughs> giving us our money back. But, but, the artificial, but, but I hadn't heard the case of like, well, look, why why that debt you know what i mean right, right. What, what, sure. you know, th- those are people who are forgive you know, mortgages oh sorry yeah it, well <laughs> but but what i'm saying is like the the you know those debt holders are have college degrees and could be you know set up to to advancing in careers where a lot of debt holders don't even have that advantage like there just mm-hmm. wasn't I, I feel like and maybe this is just a, a little it kind of our being in the in the in the era of social media where everything has to be articulated in the length of a tweet or a TikTok video mm-hmm. or an Instagram post, and that kind of leads to, um, you know, uh, like a lot of platitudes, 
a lot of like overly oversimplification like of of ideas where you have to just distill it really quickly but i but i feel like there's too many high profile political voices that lean into that that will just distill everything into like a chant or a phrase or whatever mm-hmm. it is without getting into the nuances of an issue mm-hmm. and you know it'd be nice to see the pendulum swing the other way to a degree where you'd actually have politicians go sit down for long form like there's a reason i know it's like a controversial figure but there's a reason someone like you know the joe rogans and mark marins of the world you know have such big platforms and have been successful in podcasting because people are willing to go on there and talk for three straight hours and have a nuanced conversation about a lot of different topics like if you listen to a writer sit down with mark marin you feel Mm -hmm. like you actually knew them and understand the nuances of mm-hmm. their work because it wasn't just tell us five policies. If if you if we had like politicians and leaders and lawmakers sit down for lengthy interviews where they're willing to be somewhat vulnerable, I think people would have a lot more understanding of the core of the position instead of just trying to distill it into a video that's going to play well on Twitter, which is what we see. You know what I mean? Like I think if you went mm-hmm. back to that, like I said, th- th- those examples of just people in different fields being willing to sit down and and be vulnerable and honest and have a real conversation with people. I think we would have a greater appreciation for both sides of an issue instead of it just being the lowest common denominator of what's going to either inflame people and cause them to get angry and confrontational or cause them to kind of rally around something. I, I don't think it does justice to the nuances of, of policy. You know, I think the, the reason I said, the conservatives don't have a strategy for the youth because I'm like, listen, all right, let's say student loan forgiveness, not a good thing, right? What I've noticed with my kids or just with people in general, that if I say, no, you can't have that and it's an actual real problem, then I'm going to say, you can't have that, but we can do this. Like Mm -hmm. there's no compromise with any of these issues that Gen Z cares about there's not even an understanding that that those things even matter the gun reform and that's not, yeah yeah that's the problem it's like yeah. no we're not reforming guns it's, it's not even like hey yeah. listen we may not we're not going to take away assault rifles but hey we're going to do this we'll do background checks we're not we'll do, yeah yeah we'll, we'll yeah. do we'll do it's like the, the line is so heavy in the sand that it's like yo and i, I think it's i think the liberals have that to a degree in certain areas as well right but i'm just like mm-hmm. but the, but they appeal more to gen z though so they're ensuring their future while conservatives it feel like are just like hey look we run what we got they got the supreme court we got those are lifetime appointments but it feels like that after that there's no real plan to to try to keep voters happy that are young you know and and younger people who are passionately pro-life feel Mm -hmm. further and further ostracized like they don't belong anywhere because they also are affected Mm -hmm. by the decisions about student loan debt and the lack of Mm -hmm. gun control and Mm -hmm. like so it's Mm -hmm. like they care about other issues too the climate i mean that's a huge one so it's like okay i'm pro-life but i also care about climate change i also care about gun safety uh where do i belong where do i vote you know um it's kind of been our audience all along but it's especially gen z seems to be affected But I think Jesse, I I think you do bring up a really good point about from what I can see the politicians, which are very far and few between who are willing to engage in like long form conversations about 
their policies and why they believe that uh, the response ha- from what I can see has always been people on both sides saying like, even though I might not agree with your policy, I do, I see where you're coming from and I mm-hmm. understand better. And I think mm-hmm. that is what moves things forward is it, it, like, that is a part of compromise that I think we need to, I think politicians need to focus on is even if your stance doesn't change, like even if you still say no to student debt, you need to explain, here's why I said no to forgiveness. Or here's why I said no to What's the forum for that nuanced intellectual conversation uh, that relevant magazine. Well, I know, but I'm yeah, saying like, say podcast. No, but yeah. nobody engages it's, it's that podcast. stuff. People, people want confirmation bias. They want to listen to the echo chamber of their own yeah, perspective. Nobody wants to stretch themselves. Nobody wants to be uncomfortable. And, and there's no I, forum for that. I, I don't know. I do think there are, when you look at, you know, and again, there's some controversial names out there that I know people, you know, have issues with. But if you look at people, like the Lex Friedman's on, you know, kind of leaning right, or even like Andrew the Ezra Tate. Klein's, like yeah, kind of leaning, he's a good guy. Or or, or the Ezra Klein. Well, Lex Friedman's <laughs> a, a MIT neuroscientist, but but I think he's known for being a little bit more, you know, right of center. Or you look at someone like Ezra Klein from the New York mm-hmm. Times, who's a little left of center. Both of them host regular, deeply engaging conversations with people from across the ideological and political spectrum. That I feel like you can, to Emily's point, at least gained some nuanced understanding of what that person's position is in a non-confrontational format, right? Because social media encourages talking at people where I do feel like those long form conversation podcasts is more talking to people. It's talking Mm -hmm. conversationally again, Cameron, I think it's a fair point that we're more inclined to engage with kind of the, the shorter form content. But I do think there is an increasing movement on YouTube. You see a lot of young YouTubers hosting long form conversations, um, you know, and in, in podcasts where, you know, people who might in a previous generation be pretty ideologically entrenched, especially even when it comes to their guest list are kind of opening it up to, to, you know, interesting. I, Malcolm Gladwell is another example, right? The guy's a constant moving target and regularly hosts, you know, interesting conversations, you know, in his podcast feed with people that think wildly different than him because there's mm-hmm. a genuine intellectual curiosity of how that person developed their ideas, you know? I also think there's always going to be someone who, like, like I, like, I know I was this person in my friend group and I, there's other people I've met, but like, I'm the person who I will sit down and watch the three hour conversation because I want to know both sides of the issue. Like I want to understand that my friends don't necessarily have the patience to do yeah. that, but they do want to know that. So then we will talk about it. So then it's like, I become the person who can sort of like pass on that information. So I do think mm. that I think there mm. is a desire especially among younger people to understand the nuances, understand both sides, whether or not they have the discipline is like a different topic, but I think that desire is there. And I think we, if we can figure out a way to reach that, that's great. But I think, I think it's wrong to say that like people don't want that nuance. I think they do. They just don't know how to access it or again, don't have the patience. But if it's an issue that you already have a perspective on, that's okay. If somebody's talking about something where like, I don't really have a dog in the race and it's an interesting societal question and there's two perspectives. Yes. I'll listen to the nuanced conversation and draw my own conclusion. But if it's something that you feel strongly about, or you have like conviction about like talking with somebody who's sees it completely different than you, most people will not engage that. I even remember back in like the nineties when growing up in the church, like 
the church would have like a debate between a creationist and an evolution guy. Uh, at, you know, it'd be like a special event, you know, and, and the church would come and it's like, they're not coming to be open-minded to learn more about evolution. They're coming. Mm-hmm. So the creation guy would win, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like you, mm-hmm. even if you're engaging the topic, if you have a conviction about the topic, you want to win. You know, you're not interested. You're not truly going to be open to the other perspective. Yeah, I, 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 I like. I think that's totally a fair point. But like I said, I do think there are interesting outliers that that in in kind of is particularly podcast. Like like I said, I'll go back to like the, the Ezra Klein show, the New York Times podcast. You know, he recently had a, a, an episode where it's a libertarian and I debate the debt ceiling, right? But it wasn't them shouting at each other. It was them approaching the topic with genuine interest to understand the flaws in their own thinking. Again, you can't, I don't know, I don't think there's an anecdote to, to, to the problem you're referencing. I think that's human nature. Right, it is. It's confirmation bias. Yeah. You know, but I do think the more people are willing to, to have a fair-minded approach to those conversations, the better. There's no way you can do it, but there are voices out there that I do feel like are making a genuine attempt, and I do think some of their platforms are growing, you know? Yeah, and we do, too. We try to always find that third way in a lot. Yeah. All right, well, that'll do it for Relevant Buzz. Make sure to check out relevantmagazine.com every weekday where we're covering the intersection of faith, culture, and everything in between. Thanks, Emily. All right, stay tuned. Up next, Upper Room joins us. listening to Grant Perez and Cave Town. The song is When We Were Younger. Well, Relevant has a lot happening this year, and we don't want you to miss a thing. Make sure to sign up for our newsletter right there on the front page at relevantmagazine.com, and we'll send you our top five trending stories sent to your inbox every weekday. We'll also send you a weekly uh, podcast newsletter with the latest episodes, some uh, fan extras, and first peeks at the new shows that we're going to be rolling out throughout this year. Make sure to sign up. It's the best way to keep in touch with everything we got going on. Well, I guess today is Upper Room. They're one of our favorite worship bands. They just dropped one of their, or they just dropped a new live album called Moments 11. Moments 11. I guess they have 10 previous moments before this one. I wish they just jump started it right at 11. You know, <laughs> just why not? Skip the 10. And, and it's Moments colon 011. So it's like they're, they're planning to have hundreds of moments. So we're only at 11. <laughs> We talked to Michael Miller, who started the Dallas-based ministry, and Jonathan Lewis, Upper Room's worship director, about how a small prayer group became a global movement, how their desire is to get back to God's original design for the church through simple but powerful worship, and creating an authentic culture of believers. Here's our conversation with Upper Room. curious what is the difference between like a moments album from upper room and maybe a different album that y'all might put out yeah our moments album are really the core of who we are really true to who we are like they are they they run the gamut from 
one person on an instrument in the prayer room. Uh, another track might be, you know, what we do on a on a Sunday uh, or weekend service. Um, but we would say like our moments are really just our culture, who we are day in and day out, who, whether anybody's in the room or the room's full. Yeah. And in other albums that we've done in the past, you know, have been songs that we've actually curated, written. Uh, most of those songs have come from the prayer rooms, spontaneous songs that have been birthed out of prayer room. I, I would say our moments are probably who we are day in and day out. It's just our culture. I'm always curious, like anytime you put out an album, what is your hope for people listening to it? Michael Miller has a whole story about that. Oh. I, I don't know if I have a full story, but I can give you an answer. Um, you know, if it's transformed us, if it if it was something that that God anointed in a moment, we want to share that. And so our our thought is um, if if it transformed our community, we really wanted to give people a window into what God's doing in our our culture. The 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 story of the upper room it started out as a prayer room, and we didn't do media for seven years. So we didn't have a YouTube channel. We didn't do podcasts. We didn't even have social platforms. Uh, I was really clear in the early days. The Lord was 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 planting something unconventional, and so none of those you know, quote unquote strategies we did we employ. Um, and it became a sweet spot for us, like kind of be in this obscure, unknown place. But but in our city, people knew that it was daily prayer and people were encountering God. And then in 2017, uh, a friend of mine just shared a, a word that he thought he had from the Lord about us using media to, to, to bless Gen Z, specifically Gen Z and millennials. And so we, we've kind of looked at it as a, as a, as a drip in the sense of, of like an IV. If you see an IV that drips mm. medicine into someone that's sick, we, we, we really felt like that was the strategy to, to take moments of our culture and drip them online. And like our third one went bonkers and it was to our surprise because we were just kind of being obedient and what we felt like the Lord was calling us to do. And, and uh, we kind of caught the tiger by the tail. You know, we've been trying to catch up to that ever since and just trying to stay pure to the simplicity of the presence of the Lord and hosting him and ministering to him. And now seeing that the Lord has really highlighted that, I think, for the larger body of Christ. And he's used Upper Room and other communities for that. But um, it, it wasn't something that we whiteboarded out. It, it really was just uh, an organic discovery of the Lord's leadership and, and, and how, you know, now I'm seeing how strategic it was to touch millennials and Gen Z who are looking for that, who are looking for something authentic, not, not something that's manufactured, not something that's well-produced. Um, I remember our, our, one of our first moment albums, we had a 52 minute song on there and people were like 52 minutes. What are you doing? And I was like, well, this is just who we are. Like, it, it's a representation of what happens daily. And, um, and so it's just, it's been a, it's been a giant experiment. It still is. And you mentioned, you mentioned moments 11, which was the last one. And I think it's one of the purest offerings that we've, we've given in a while. Um, I've, I've been listening to it now for six months. I listened to it this morning. I listen to it almost every day. There's a couple of songs on there that just, 
the sauce doesn't run out. It is like, it is just so pure and, and it pierces my heart even today. And I hope it does that for others. You gave everything to make us your resting place. You guys emphasize a lot that worship is more than music, um, which I think is an idea that a lot of people maybe don't think about a lot of times growing up, especially in the church. Like we think of worship as it's the three songs you sing before a sermon on Sunday. Um, and so I'd love to give you both just kind of a second to, can you kind of unpack that idea of like, what do you mean when you say worship is more than music? Well, I think yeah, I'll, I'll just, I'll start and then another answer. I think one of the real core values for us is just a house is every time we gather together, we bring something to the Lord. And when we come to him, we don't want to come empty handed. So we bring an offering of Thanksgiving. We bring an offering of praise to him. And one of the things that we've, we have noticed about the Lord is that when we bring an offering to him of thanks, He's actually so attracted that. I mean, like you look at like that throughout the, the Bible, he's so attracted to offerings. And so what we've noticed in just gathering around him is that when we come with an offering of Thanksgiving in our hearts, one, it begins to just like deal with your soul, deal with soulish things. You know, like I often refer to it as when we come in with Thanksgiving, it actually washes us, washes us of soulish earthly things so when we're thinking about our own finances and how we're, let's just take finances for example when you come in you're thinking about your lack of finances but you come in with thanksgiving thinking thanking him for being a provider you actually wash yourself of thinking about your own lack of finances and he shows up in such tangible ways we call it he shows up as the author of our faith and so he comes in and we circle around what he what he is the person that he is i think what we're doing what we're finding corporately is what what i have found personally is men my heart begins to be transformed when i come to him with an offering with no expectation of of him changing that but he does he comes uh, and he authors faith for himself in my heart that that ultimately it's our motto that he begins to transform us in his presence. It's one of the real tangible things that I've noticed in our community. I think you can tell that. I think when we talk about moments, we were talking about that earlier, like what you're picking up on is actually there's, there's faith on this album. There is faith behind what someone is singing. When someone's just singing, whether again, whether they're the only person in the room or the room is full, they're singing and they're singing full of faith unto a God who is actually the author of that faith. I think worship is one of those words that's elastic. 
And what I mean by that is you may have a definition, I may have a definition, and J. Lou may have a definition, but and they're all right. But I think really honing in on you know how we have chosen to define the word, and and we we define it as agreeing with who He is. So agreeing with who Jesus, according to the Bible, says that He is. So not 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 all songs that we sing are worship songs. There's intercessory songs. There's praise songs, but. You know, a lifestyle of worship is aligning up with the nature and character of who our God has told us that He is. So, J. Lou mentioned provider. So, one of the worship ways we worship Him is by agreeing that He's a provider. We're, we're not going to enter into fear. We're gonna we're gonna align our hearts and our mind with that reality and live a life that that submits to that nature. And I think, I think one of the primary ways the Bible uh, instructs us to worship, at least together, is through song. So song plays a vital role in that because it's, it's the way that we express corporately with a unified heart, unified mind through words to him. But those words should impact our hearts to walk it out in our life. And so you know, we present ourselves as, as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to the Lord, for this is your spiritual act of worship. And then we're transformed by the renewing of our mind. And oftentimes when we come into the place of prayer, come into the place of worship, you know, life attempts to redefine God. I think culture's attempting to redefine God. And he looks more like us than the God of the scriptures. And so what we've seen is the young people who come into an environment where there's agreement around the nature of God, in that culture, they're convicted about a life that's not that's not submitted to that reality. And so, while worship isn't music, man, he uses it. And we see in heaven that they're singing songs. Um, so I know it's a it's a crucial part to living out this life of worship, but. I think it's an agreement unto who the Bible says Jesus is, the Father is, the Spirit is. And we've really honed in with our worship leaders like, hey, this is more of a praise song or this song is more about us than him. This is about what he does for us. Um, but worship is agreeing with who he is. So we've really been meticulous about the words we put in our community's mouths because it's an expression of their heart. Uh, hopefully that'll be helpful for people listening. Just that definition. I, I think it's, it can be a word that that's interpreted in various ways. That was upper room. Make sure to check out their new album moments 11. All right, stay tuned up next. It's your feedback.
You're listening to Husbands. The song is Can't Do Anything. So that makes sense. Husbands can't do anything. I feel like... It makes a lot of sense. Yeah. A lot of people don't know this. It's a super group with Kevin James, Ray Romano... Uh, Tim Allen from Home Improvement. <laughs> it's, it's like it's 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 what's the um, what's the supergroup of Phoebe Bridgers and um, oh, boy, genius. boy Genius? It's the Boy Genius of '90s yeah. sitcom dads. They can't get anything right. <laughs> can't do anything. My husband. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Guess, guess who locked themselves out of the house again and just have to sneak up through the window? Ah, oh, dad. Uh, feature, feature from Homer Simpson. Today's show is brought to you in part by The Chosen. Season four of The Chosen is coming to theaters nationwide on February 1st, and this season has everything. Clashing kingdoms, rival rulers, and when they're threatened by the reality of Jesus' growing influence, religious leaders do the unthinkable, choose to ally themselves with the Romans. As the seeds of betrayal are planted in opposition to Jesus' message turns violent, he's left with no alternative but to demand his followers rise up. So get ready, relevant podcast listeners. February 1st is the big release day. Go get your tickets now at thechosenriseup.com. Okay, it's time for your feedback. I'm looking at feedback and it's I, I have no recollection of this, how we asked this question. But the question we asked you last week was, what's a lie you've told someone, but they still don't know it's a lie? Emily, help me. Mar- oh, Mar- oh. Margaret Harvey got the got the best one. I'm just going to let y'all know that. I'm going to let y'all get a context, but Margaret Harvey got the best one. Jesse, do you remember how we got on this question? I don't remember how we got it, but I do remember one of the anecdotes that I, I heard a story about someone who went to college and was joking around talking in a British accent and people thought he was yes. British and it was too late. Yes. And they spent mm-hmm. the whole freshman year <laughs> having to fabricate a story about being from, from England. Yeah. You know, you yeah. just got in too deep too quick. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I can't remember how we got there, but I remember where it landed. Yeah. All right. So you guys hit us up on Twitter at relevant podcast. You also responded to our threads at relevant magazine. Here's some of our favorite replies. Margaret says, my husband and I told our kids Barney died so we wouldn't have to watch it anymore. Oh, no. That is brutal. (laughs) I like it. Hey, look, I don't blame you, but dang. Melody said she started a new high school and didn't have the uniform yet, so her dad wrote a note excusing her. She copied the handwriting. The school checked it by calling him and went on file to prevent against forgeries. For years, if I didn't want to do something, I just wrote myself a note. The reason I bring that up is because I did the same thing, Melody. Um, not, And that was truly just because I would always forget to get my parents to sign things. So I made up a signature for my dad oh. in like the seventh grade and just used that for the rest of my high school Whoa. career. I think I did tell my dad and he didn't care. I'm grasping <laughs> the complexity of her deceit now. Dad gave her a real note. She said, this is the first <laughs> time the school is going to see my dad's handwriting. I'm going to rewrite the note give the school Mm -hmm. my version of the same note. They check it with them. He said, yeah, I gave her a note and she has her penmanship on file as her dad. That is brilliant. Some forgers are playing. She's playing chess out here. I was a deceitful little jerk, but I didn't even think of something that complex. That is smart. Good job. M Lockwood Porter, which sounds, I'll be honest, like the name of like a, a, 
uh, James Bond villain. Um, <laughs> M. Lockwood Porter. Mr. M. Lockwood Porter. No, yeah, it's, a, it's he, a, he dev- one of Nick's characters, a new girl, one of his novels. It's Mm, Julius Pepperwood, yeah. Julius Pepperwood, M. Lockwood yeah, Porter. M. Lockwood, yeah. Did you read the new M. Lockwood Porter mystery novel? It's very good. Um, I don't know how I feel about this, but uh, listen, it's not me. It's M. Lockwood Porter. He said his best friend and him wanted to go to a Blink One Eighty Two concert in high school, but couldn't afford tickets. So we told. <laughs> So we told everyone in our extremely Baptist Oklahoma town that God called us to spread the gospel at an evil secular concert, but we needed donations to get in. We turned a profit. Now, in in Lockwood Porter's defense, I love he it. didn't say if he shared the gospel there. I love he it. Didn't, he didn't. He could have. Now that is when you're playing chess instead of checkers. That's chess, boy. That's checkmate. Yes. <laughs> Why do I feel like that's what a lot of people are doing today? Like they're just Ooh. like, oh, Listen, I'm going to Jamaica to, to spread. The, they, I know they have churches down there, but short term mission trip. And of course, it's mission trip to Hawaii. Hawaii is one of the most unchurched places on the planet. Yo, just le- please give me money to go there. I legit did go on a mission trip to Scotland and people were literally like, Emily, are you really going on a mission trip? And it really was like it was like partnering with the church. But I had a lot of people asking me like were if they, I was just trying to play like, for a free trip to Europe. Were you like, you know, Christianity's been popular there longer than it has here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we went to a church that yeah was older than America. Yeah, 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 you know to you know that basically our country was founded by people from around that region sending missionaries over yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you understand that history, right? Yeah. 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 All right. All right. That'll do it for last week's feedback. There's more where that came from if you want to check it out. Okay, it's time for this week's editorial question of the week. All right. So, you know, we spent the first 10 minutes of the show talking about Barbenheimer. Uh, So the question of the week, we want to know your perfect movie double feature. Uh, We talked about themed nights, uh, but then Emily pointed out, no, we got to do the juxtaposition. That's what makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. So what would be your weird pairing, but perfect pairing for a theater release double feature? Uh, Hit us up on Twitter at relevant podcast. And you can also hit us up on threads at Relevant Magazine. Uh, we're posting all this question everywhere, so just find it and then reply when you see it. Okay, <laughs> we'll read our favorites on next week's show. Well, before we wrap things up, I want to thank Upper Room for joining us. Make sure to check out their new album, Moments 11. It's really good. Uh, also, make sure to check out the summer issue of Relevant. It's out now. You can read it by clicking the magazine tab right there at relevantmagazine.com. Features a great cover story with Lauren Daigle. We have amazing uh, faith leaders like Christine Kane, Judah, and Chelsea Smith. Uh, we have amazing think pieces, issues, music, you name it. It's in there and it's free. Uh, just go check it out, share it, help us spread the word. Also, if you want to get the beautifully designed, enhanced digital edition of the magazine, uh, you can get it as part of your Relevant Plus subscription. Um, All you have to do is sign up right there at the Relevant Plus tab at the website. Uh, You get ad-free unlimited reading at relevantmagazine.com. You get an ad-free version of this podcast. You get an exclusive subscriber podcast and more. Uh, Plans start as low as $2.50 a month. It's the best way to experience our content. Go check it out. Um, also, if you like the music on the podcast, you can check out our 
heard on the relevant podcast Spotify playlist. We update it every week. There's a couple other playlists that we update weekly as well. Just search for relevant magazine over on Spotify. Okay. On that note, we'll wrap it. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Derek Miner. I'm Emily Brown. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone. Get some rest. Rest up for your Barbenheimer. listening to the relevant podcast check out our features interviews and news updates every day at relevantmagazine.com and make sure to follow relevant on facebook twitter and instagram for the latest for more great podcasts browse the shows on the relevant podcast network which you can find at our site and while you're there don't miss the all-new era of relevant magazine a new issue releases every other month at relevantmagazine.com a limonchado after you had the pasta relevant podcast network